I'll just give you a pre-warning that when I grabbed the Bible this morning, I grabbed the extreme teen Bible, so I can't be responsible if it's a little wild. Um, But we decided a while ago as a team that, uh, I should get my clicker, that we were all going to give it a go, five weeks in a row, Um, so it'll be different, the different of us here five weeks in a row. and with the possibility of kind of maybe giving a testimony, if we haven't given testimonies a lot in the past to start with, and then to kind of get into it. So today, um, I don't remember the last time I talked in church about kind of my testimony. So I'm going to start with that. I'm not going to stay very long on that. Um, But for people that may not know me well, here's a little bit of my story. Um... I was born into the church. I was born into Cold Springs Mennonite Church and uh, spent my childhood years there and uh, did the Mennonite thing. The Mennonite thing was a lot of good biblical teaching from early on all the way to age 12. And then at age 12, you're expected to go discuss it with the the big boys and girls upstairs and... uh, you really start diving in and dissecting parts of the Bible, and you're, that's kind of taught in how you're trained as a child. And uh, so there was an early on with me, I enjoyed, um, I enjoyed some of the, the more simple theology of it all. Like I enjoyed thinking and wondering and asking questions about God and digging in and trying to figure things out. And at that time, I didn't know a whole lot about what the Holy Spirit did, what his mission was. I realized that the Trinity was there. I had no problem with that. But um, So for me, it was, it was very academic at first when I would get into the Bible. It was very dissecting and looking at Hebrew and looking at Greek and hoping that I could figure things out with my mind and I thought myself smart. I think I'm smart still. But during my teen years, um, I started to get really bored. And I was looking at the relevance of some of the things that we believed. Um, And I wouldn't say they were like big doctrinal issues, but there were some things added on with being a Mennonite that I didn't understand um, the relevance and why we picked and choose certain things that Paul said. Um, I just had a lot of questions. But I I never never questioned that, that God wasn't real. I never had that... I saw in people's life, I saw the faithfulness of people, I saw the joy of Christ in people, and I saw how they operated and how selfless so many of these people were, and I had no doubt that Jesus was in the hearts of men, that people could do what Jesus was asking them to do. Um, So I wasn't anti-church, I was just rather, when I got into high school, I was just kind of like, eh, meh, church. Um... Then my dad went to Toronto, and he experienced something fresh and new, and it, it changed our family's life. Um, there was some life that was coming back into, into that. I saw, I saw a different dad. My dad had been, I mean, he talks about his desert. So my earlier years of life were kind of during my dad's desert, and I knew that he was actively pursuing something. I didn't totally understand it. I remember as a kid, I would go downstairs and, you know, I could, my dad might be in a room somewhere quiet, just praying in tongues, and he was just really seeking 
and trying to get that that more that you knew was coming. And uh, so I experienced that, and uh, it looked like he found the more. And it was kind of it was kind of cheesy to me at the time. It was kind of funny some of the stuff they were doing. Um, but I saw that it was real for him, and I was like, okay, whatever. If it's real, if this is working for my dad, and I didn't see anything bad coming out of it, and the Bible tells you to test it and look and see what's coming out of it. And so um, an opportunity came. They were going to take the youth group to Toronto for a youth event back before they had their official youth conferences. It was just kind of thrown together, and it was kind of a, a bring your youth. And I remember thinking, well... I've only been to Canada a little bit. I've never been to Toronto. Kind of like to go to Toronto. And I also thought, like, if I go there, there might be some hot chicks. And so I went to Toronto. And I was, uh, it was fun. And there were hot chicks. I wasn't at a point where I was able to go up and talk to them yet. I didn't have that confidence. But I knew, I knew okay, well, this is not bad. This is, there's, you know, there's this bigger pool of Christian fish out there. And uh, so I went to Toronto. I, I won't say that I was closed. I would say that I wasn't necessarily, I wasn't caring about what was going on. Um, and then during worship, which I thought was extremely cheesy, they had tried to design it. I mean, it was basically from the time that this Bible came out. So like Christian youth, yeah, it was extreme. It was pretty cool. And uh, it was really cheesy. But, you know, during the prayer time, this guy got up and he started praying and I you close your eyes and you drop your head anyway because that's what we do. And so I closed my eyes and I dropped my head and something exploded physically inside of my chest. And I was not prepared for that. I wasn't looking for that. I didn't know what was going on. I just know that going out there, I was rather, I was a rather, how would I, I was a critical person, not judgmental, if that makes sense. I didn't really, I wasn't into judging people but I was critical of ways and things and very dissecting like that. And through all that process, I had kind of gotten a stone heart. I really, I cared about my friends and family, and that was about it. My goal in life was I was going to be an accountant, kind of do my own accounting stuff, have my own business, run my own way, and uh, make some money, give my 10%, let the church do the deal, and have a comfortable life because I thought, that, you know, we were kind of, it was, it, was a, it was a poor upbringing. We always had what we needed, but it was not uh, by any means extravagant in any way. And so that was my goal. Make some money, throw some tithe, let the church deal with the peoples. And, uh, but I was praying and something happened. I thought that maybe this is what a heart attack was like. But I was like, like 16. And so I'm like, well, I think I'm healthy. Like, I run track. Like, this can't be, but it was, it was so big and it was so powerful, whatever was going on inside my chest. And so I'm sitting there reeling from it, and then the guy comes back up, and he's like, there's a few of you in this room that just experienced something inside of your chest. And that changed everything. Um, and so he went through with it. I don't even remember what he said after that, because at that point, I knew something was real. I had no doubt. And so he said, I'd like you to come up, and I'm going to pray for you. It was like, it was myself and another girl out of the whole crowd. We went up. He prayed something. I don't even remember what he prayed. I just, just remember knowing that it's all real. Something happened there. And uh, when I wasn't looking 
for him when I didn't care and I had ulterior motives, he still came in and he did what he did. And um, started changing things. And so I realized that there was, some, there was something real here. Um, so I started diving into it. I had to understand in the Bible where this stuff is and why things make sense. And I started diving into it and I, I got to a point where I was like, okay, this is all here. We just haven't focused on this. Um, and that's, it kind of led me into trying some new things. I had, a, I had a friend who was selling his bass guitar and his amp. And I was like, well, that's kind of cool. Like musicians get chicks. Um, so we're going to do that. And so I got the bass guitar and the amp, and then I eventually started doing some worship stuff with, uh, with an old worship leader and Ryan and Jonathan. And uh, I was like, I like this. It's good. Um, but one day I was at home. I was downstairs in my parents' basement. And I had the internet going. It was back in dial-up. And the quality of the music coming in from Toronto was a live thing. It was really gross. But it was, you know, when you brought that in, it doesn't matter how gross it was. Yet the presence came with it. And I was sitting down there on that, that couch. And they started going into the song, The Heart of Worship, which like dates when this happened. And the heart thing happened again. And I was like, okay, I'll stick with worship. I really didn't, I didn't care about music before then. Like I liked music. I listened to music. But I thought... Church music, Christian music was pretty lame still. Still kind of like that a little bit. Not as bad. Um, but, but again, God, God just, whatever. And, and I knew that it was real. And, I, I, and he, he told me that he said, he, and, I, and I heard him, he said, as long as you get up there and you are faithful, I will show up. And he has never disappointed me in 20 years when I get up to lead worship, when I get up to do what I'm going to do. Um, He's never not been there. And I will continue to do it until he tells me I don't have to do it anymore. Um, but he shows up. Um, so career-wise, I was still in route. I had gotten two years of college completed um, for an accounting program. I was about to switch. There were other things that were happening spiritually in my life. Um, but the career thing, I was going to do the accounting thing again. I was just going to, you know, listen, I could... It was starting, people were starting to talk about working from home. You had different things that were available. And I'm like, this is great. I can do what I want, work when I want, be my own guy, and uh, get the money made. <laughs> then God does it again. I'm sleeping one night. And uh, I was thinking about where I wanted to finish up college. I did two years in Travers. It's like, do I want to just do the university center? Do I want to go away? Like, I just want to get this done with. I want it to be cheap. Um, so that's kind of what I went to bed praying about. And um, we had been doing some youth camps in the UP. And that, that night, God came in and I just, he showed me visions of me working in classrooms. And kids were crying and I was crying and I didn't know what was going on. And he said, you, you need to work with the youth of Kalkaska, with the children of Kalkaska. And I was like, okay. And so after that, I've tried to figure out how that was going to work. Um, it changed a little bit about what I did. I mean, I had some college stuff completed. And so also around that time, um, God opened up a door to go to the UP. And I was able to go to the UP and stay with a family that wanted me to also come in and lead worship at the church. So it was, you lead worship at church, we'll help you out. We'll provide your room and board. You can do your school and you can get some live worship going in this church. 
there was a hot chick up there that I was interested in and ended up marrying. Um, so that led into the thing too. And so I went up to the UP and I finished up at Lake State. Um, ended up doing a double, ended up doing a double major. I did my student teaching. Um, started working a little bit. I, don't know, I got a couple classes in for a master's in curriculum. Decided I'm not doing that. Um, curriculum development is really boring. It's cool but boring, if that makes sense. And uh, then I came back down here, and because I knew I was supposed to be in Kalkaska County, um, so I did my student teaching down here and came back to the church. And I'd always been one who pushed the boundaries a little bit when I would talk and get involved with things at church, and because I, I wanted the more. And if something seemed like the more wasn't there, then why are we doing this? Why don't we do the more? And uh, I had pushed some people. There had been some hurt involved with me. And when I came back down, I was like, well, what church is probably impacting the youth of Kalkaska the most? And so I tried going to another church for about three weeks, and God put an end to that. And I came back, and I knew I was supposed to be with my dad. But there was a lot of hurt there. So I did what I encourage people to do when they get hurt by the church. I got over it. I asked the Holy Spirit for some healing with it, and I had to let things go. And it didn't matter who was right and wrong in situations, and I had to get over it. And so I came back, and things have been, I've liked it since I've came back. And uh, I, I guess I would say my emphasis when I, think about, when I think about what I am to do, I like to talk about thinking. I like to think about thinking. I like people to think about their thinking. I like the idea Paul addresses most things in the world as systems of thought. We're going to talk about Paul today. I wanted to go through where I'm leading when this thing is done is I'm going to start by talking to you in like a biography of Paul. And I guess I picked that because it kind of fit with this. I like taking those things that are lofty, that are destroying our earth, and we need to tear them down. And I think that that's, that, that's a spiritual thing. Um, it's also a humanly thing. And those things have to be brought down. And people have to be free from those thoughts and those systems that keep them slaves. Um, and so with that, wasn't super in-depth. I'm going to go ahead and see if that button works. I'm trying to unblank my screen. There we go. Who was Paul, the Greek Jew who was roaming around? All right. So just to make a disclaimer, he wasn't Greek. He grew up in Greece like the, the Greek culture. I know that he was a Jew of Jews. He was 100% a kosher man. Um, I just thought, I like the title of that, so that's why I went with that. All right, baby. All right, click. All right. So let's talk about baby Saul. All right, baby Saul was born in Tarsus. He was a pure Jew. His parents were Jew all the way back. Um, Most speculate he was born maybe a few years later than Jesus based on different things in his life. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He belonged to the tribe of Benjamin. Um, From the historical text, we can find that his family actually came from the northern Galilee region originally before they moved up to Tarsus when some of the Jews were spread out. Um, And his family was ultra-conservative. His Pharisaic background went back to his great-grandparents, so he had multiple generations of that Pharisaic background. So when he talks about being the Pharisee of the Pharisees, he had the lineage to back it up along with the thought. 
Um, his family moved to Tarsus way back when the, the time of Roman occupation began. Um, they became a wealthy family, and uh, his family was really, they were, they were pillars of the conformist Jew uh, diaspora. Click. Um, traditional, wealthy Jewish family. Uh, sister gets married off in Jerusalem. Paul ends up. So Paul gets, Paul gets, a, he gets a Greek education, that Roman education. Most of the Roman education was made up of that Greek too. And then he ends up in a rabbinical high school to cover the Jewish side of his education. And he spends a lot of time in Jerusalem for extended times. Um, being a wealthy Jew, you would go back to Jerusalem as often as you could if the safety were, was there. Um, he spoke Greek and Aramaic. He was Roman educated. He read scriptures in Hebrew and the Septuagint. Um, the Septuagint is the, the Hebrew text just written in Greek. So they'd already translated some of those over to Greek. Um, we don't know a whole lot about him up until we, we catch up with him participating in the martyrdom of Stephen. And we can read that. I'm going to kind of skip through that because I'm going to try to get to other things with him. But he was heavily involved in the martyrdom of Stephen. Um, and then after the martyrdom of Stephen, he took a leading role in the, the Pharisee diaspora to persecute the Hellenistic Christians. So he was going all over. Um, he started off by really hammering hard in Jerusalem. And they were really trying to shut down the new church in Jerusalem. And so the Bible talks about him actually leading for us, it would be officers, but for them, it probably was temple guards or centurions into people's houses and actually going into people's houses and ripping Christians away from their family in Jerusalem, which is very important to remember that he's doing this because when you're taking the parents out, you're leaving these children behind, and now these children have been traumatized by Paul. These children are going to grow up to be in your church, and their mean boogeyman is Paul or Saul at the time. So when Saul's trying to deal Later, understand that there's layers of trauma underneath uh, that relationship. Um, so that's what he did for a while. That's, he was devout. He thought he had it, and knowing that he had it, he had what in his mind was information and the mandate to back up what he's doing. And so click. Um, talk a little bit about Tarsus before we move too much further. Um, Tarsus was a pretty famous city. Famous for having the, the people of Tarsus were famous for having helped Julius Caesar in his fight with Pompey. If you know your Roman history at all, you got Pompey, you got Julius Caesar, they're coming at each other. There's some civil war in Rome. Tarsus had a bunch of wealthy Jews, and the Jews were supporting Caesar. And when Caesar ultimately beat Pompey, Caesar rewarded them um, by giving them favored status and completely free to worship whatever they wanted to worship. As long as you were the supporter of Caesar, they, he even made the Jews tax-exempt at the time. This is all from history books. Um, so you could see how Paul's family, were, they were able to accumulate more and more wealth, and it was a safe place to, to follow your religion and make some money. Um, it was also the historical meeting place between Mark Anthony and Cleopatra. This would have been a little bit before Paul's time, um, and it had, a, had important religious connotations there too. Uh, Mithraism founded there, with, which at the time I had to do some looking into this, but the Mithraism was a pretty popular religion that spread throughout all of the Roman Empire. And basically it, was, it comes from the word, it's like mystery. It's like 
almost Gnosticism, like it is a religion that has like said that they had the answer to life. It's kind of cultish. Um, spread a lot from there, but that was the founding city of that. So, you know, Paul's growing up in the founding city of that too. Uh, the cult of Isis was very strong there. Of course, you have Greek mythology, Stoicism. Um, also the city where they really practiced the cult of Hercules. Um, very religious city. And Paul took all of this in as he was growing up. And my guess is that Paul, knowing how Paul was as an adult, he probably liked to debate things as a child. So I'm guessing Paul had it in with most of those religions at different times. Um, so click. We know Paul's story. Paul finishes up his work in Jerusalem. He has killed and taken away the people that he wanted to kill and taken away. Evidently, enough to his feeling like, okay, we're pretty good here. Um, so he really did a number on the church in Jerusalem. He gets orders that he can go up and do the same thing to Antioch. And uh, so he's heading to Antioch, and he wants to go into phase two, and he's going to do the same thing up there. And the story of Paul, I can read it. Um, it might be a little extreme. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I want to stop there just for a second. I don't think that Paul was looking for an encounter from the Lord. Just want to put that out there. A lot of people in the church like to say things like, if you're open, people just need to be open and it'll happen. I think there's too much in the Bible and there's too many people that I know that there's free will, there's sovereignty of God, and we've got to balance that. Saul found Jesus. Saul was not looking for Jesus. Saul was doing the opposite with Jesus, and he, he found him. And so I think we need to, especially as we move forward with what this church wants to do with helping the community, and as we engage with different people, understand that the Holy Spirit is on different people doing different things. And it can happen instantly. Um, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And so he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Paul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drink. We'll just stop there for now. Um, understanding something about Saul's conversion is that it, it, wasn't, it wasn't like a, a, a differently converted Christian at the time. The Jews were still preaching to the Jews, and they wove Jesus into Judaism and out of, out of Judaism, and it was this progression, and they got people to the place where they were at, and the Holy Spirit did the rest. This is Saul's instantaneous and he goes, everything about him and his way of life changed from one extreme to the other extreme. He instantly went from a narrow sectarianism to a militant universalism. That's a big deal. It's a very big deal. Strict legalism to a complete repudiation of the law. Paul said change was instant and complete. He talks about it at different times when he's writing to people and even in Acts. 
He's telling people this happened at once. Um, I think that you need to understand that understanding how he came to Christ is going to make it possible to understand what he's writing. I think if you don't understand the instantaneous change that he talks about, some things may not make as much sense or be as powerful as they should be. Um, also, at the time, there were people in the church that you can't be a certain anybody unless you saw the resurrected Christ. So for a while there, they, were, they would call you an apostle if you were one that saw the risen Christ. And Paul is saying, I, I have seen the risen Christ. Um, and he equated it on his experience as having actually seen Christ, which is also very powerful and a very bold claim. Um, so understanding where Paul is coming from, understanding what happens to Paul in an instant, if you are Paul and you've spent 30-something years of your life preparing for what you are doing and persecuting the church and making sure that the pharisaical ways are continued with no hindrance and instantly you change. No one, God didn't download necessarily an entire book to explain it to Paul. It instantly happened in his spirit. Repudiation of the law. We'll get to that though. He still continued to follow some things, but he didn't force that on anyone. We'll get click. Um, he was prepared to be the apostle to the Gentiles, which is hilarious because if anybody was to be an apostle to the Jews with an understanding and a background, it was him. But that's not who God sent him to. Um, he had been trained exactly for this commission. He could talk to any group and translate Christ to any people. We see that throughout the New Testament. He was a Hellenistic debater. He knew how to, to debate in the traditions of Greek orators, we learn that as he's, well, we'll read that here in a little bit. Um, he also had the knowledge as a rabbi, and he knew of the many cults and religions in his town. Um, could present the gospel consistently and properly to any background. He knew the negative underpinnings people groups were carrying into Christianity. And what I mean by that is, if he worshipped Artemis, he understood the worship of Artemis, and he knew what he had to address. And then with the Holy Spirit's leading, he takes them out of that and into Christianity, that type of thing. Um, the one example of this that I really like as someone who studied a lot of philosophy at school too, um, when you, they always take you through Plato. They play, take you through Plato and Socrates. And you know, Paul, is, Paul grew up in the areas of, of Greece. And he was familiar with Plato and Socrates just based on having had a Roman education. That was part of what we know the Roman education to be. So uh, one of my favorite examples of him doing what he's doing is addressing the, addressing at the, the Aeropagus. Um, and this is in Acts 17, um, 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Aeropagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive in all things that you are very religious, for I was passing through and considered the objects of your worship. I even found an altar with this inscription, and it says, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship, without knowing him, I proclaim to you. And I want to pause here just for a minute. If anybody, does anybody remember how Plato died? All right, Plato was forced to be poisoned. He chose the poison in his bed because he had been in Athens and he was corrupting the youth with a new religion. And so by him going up to this area, Plato, and speaking of a new religion, and it wasn't. It wasn't Jesus, but he was speaking of a new religion. It was enough to anger the people of Athens, bringing in this new, this new religion that they got rid of Plato, one of their most beloved, and they, they 
let him go to his room and take his poison. He took his hemlock and died. And so here's Paul going to the same area, and he's about to lay down the laws of a new religion. So when Paul is doing this, he's doing this in boldness, knowing he knows what happened to Plato. And here he is approaching the same mount. Um, so that's, I don't think that that's lost on Paul. Um, Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in the temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their, dis- and has determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him. The line grope for him there, if you look into it, talks about like groping in the darkness. One of Plato's famous philosophical essays was The Cave. And the idea of the cave was they were trying to look at the nature of man and how man is groping in the darkness and then man finds this and then science brings us to this. And it's very, it's very Platonian. Paul uses the same example that men have been groping in the darkness for ages. And what I am bringing you now is what men have been groping for. Paul knows exactly what he's doing when he's teaching certain people groups. Um, so that they may seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are all the offspring of God. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone or something shaped by art or man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of all of this by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked him, while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. And so Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed, among them Dionysus, the Arapagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Um, That's just an example right there of how Paul approaches certain areas of the region and knows how to do what he needs to do. Um, Again, led by the Holy Spirit, not saying it's all intellectualism or knowledge, but Paul has an understanding and knows exactly where to go. Click. So let's just look at a brief timeline of Paul. We'll talk about a few things in Paul's life. I really just want to get through Paul so that when we we talk about things, and I'm going to preach a lot from some of his letters, that we have an understanding of who he is. AD 37 is when he was knocked down into the dirt, great light and voice, we read that a little bit, began to preach in synagogues, which is interesting. He immediately goes back, immediately goes to pray, preach in the synagogues, evidently does a really good job because of his rabbinical training and is able to weave everything in to the point where it doesn't take very long and they all want to kill him. So he has to go somewhere else. Uh, So he goes to Jerusalem um, Christians are suspicious. I mean, some of these Christians saw their family members ripped out of their home by these people, by him. Um, and again, he goes and he teaches in the temple, and people get really angry, and they want to kill him again. So the Christians have to hide him, and evidently hide him enough that they actually sent him into the Arabian Peninsula for three years. So we don't know exactly what he was doing in the Arabian Peninsula for three years, but we know that biblically he was in there from about 37 to 40 um, he gets out of there, 
he goes up and uh, he spends some time at the Antioch church, which is the other big church. You have Jerusalem and you have Antioch, and those are kind of the pillars of Christianity at that time. Um, It is the church that's quite in contrast to the church in Jerusalem. Um, They eventually send him on his first missionary trip, and he starts to go around the Greek world, Roman world. And then finally, a a second missionary trip. By this time, there's a lot of success in the Bible that goes through, and many were brought to Christ, and they saw that this was a good thing. And they talk about that with all of his journeys. Um, But then during the secondary uh, missionary trip, they have to kind of cut it short at the beginning um, because there's enough of a hubbub going on with what he's talking about that he has riled up the Christian Jews. And so he is brought to Jerusalem for the Jerusalem uh, Council. Somewhere in this time, we also know that he was writing to the Galatians. Uh, Click. Um, So let's talk about the Jerusalem Council for a little bit. This is the first great council meeting of the minds in Christian history. This one is in Acts. We can read it. Um, There are a number of issues, but the biggest issue was that they were upset that Paul was not teaching that circumcision was required for salvation. That was the first church fight. And the circumcision was a big deal because that was a Jewish thing. And for the rest of the world, it was a big deal because it seemed super barbaric. And so you had these two sides that were hardline on each side with what they thought about it. And Paul is approaching the other side and saying, you don't need to do this. The Jews, are, the Jews were hardline about it. You do need to do this. And so it was creating a rift in the church. And the church knew this, and the church knew that they must have unity. Okay, they didn't just let it fracture. That's important to realize. That during these discussions, they were talking this out. They were trying to figure this out. They didn't just split. Okay. Nowadays, churches just split. There's an issue. Let's not talk about it. We're just going to leave. Not how the early church did it. These are all people that walked with Jesus and they saw the need for unity. So that's something to keep in mind as we look around our town and we join with other churches. Um, that was never the law. Just split. Um, they were talking about the laws of Moses also being part of salvation. Um, And again, most of this was coming from converted Pharisees. They taught that it was needed, among other things. James was really weighing in on the side of the Jews. Paul was really weighing in on the side of the Gentiles. They really couldn't speak much to Paul because he continued to keep his traditions, the Jewish traditions, but he was not forcing it on the Gentiles. Uh, Peter weighs in, and then we can read... um, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues of every Sabbath. Uh, We find out that Paul, and I I put a little note there, at uh, Noahidism, I didn't know what that was until I was doing this. Um, Paul left unhappy. We know that kind of in his tone with some of his letters. And then we find out later at the end of Acts that he actually didn't stick to the decree and could not stomach all of that decree. So that's what ends up getting him on the path to getting his head chopped off in Rome. So was the fact that he wasn't sticking to this. I do want to talk about uh, Noahidism because it's important to know what the Noahidism is. Um, I didn't realize this because it wasn't in the Bible. It's just in different Jewish texts. But what they're referring to here, if you want to click, um, you could be a good Gentile 
you weren't necessarily saved because um, you weren't worshiping the true God, but you would be a good Jewish or you would be a good Gentile neighbor to the Jews if you followed these things. And uh, it kind of covers what, what James had wanted Paul to teach. Um, not to worship idols, curse God, establish courts of... So some of these things are already established in Rome, right? Like we're not supposed to murder. There's courts of justice. Um, you're not supposed to steal. Um, but some of the rest were specifically Jewish Jewish things. So you have the idol worship, the meat given to idols, the flesh torn from the living animals, and the sexual immorality. That's the stuff they wanted to add to already what, what good Romans were supposed to do. Um, most believe that when they make this judgment, it was just a way for both groups to coexist and relate because they were having issues. Gentiles, saved Gentiles were coming down to Jerusalem and the Jewish Christians wouldn't even sit at a table with them. They made them go back and sit at a different table and they wouldn't even eat with them. And so this was a way that they felt the Jews could sit with the Gentiles because the, the Gentiles were not doing these things. Um, but that's a no-hitism. And the reason they call it that is because these are the, these are the mandates that God gives to Noah's children um, when they get out of the ark. Like, this is how you should do life. This is before Moses, remember, in Mosaic Law. Uh, click. Back to Paul and his route. So the, the Council of Jerusalem happens we think we have some kind of agreement based on what we read in the Bible. Uh, Josephus, a famous Jewish historian, adds detail too, if you want to know a little bit more. Um, he does his second journey. Thessalonians is written. He, he starts doing more of his, uh, those Greek routes that he takes and he ends up writing letters to. And uh, he ends up back in Jerusalem, like I talked about. Jews upset with him again. Um, you're not preaching what we want you to preach about Judaic law. And we're upset, and so we're going to turn you over to a Roman who evidently is going to do our bidding. Um, so Paul gets a chance to speak during that time. He gets to speak, and then he's addressing Pharisees and Sadducees, and as he's addressing Pharisees and Sadducees, Pharisees and Sadducees end up getting mad at each other. The Pharisees and the Sadducees then want to kill each other, and people are like, oh, Paul's back. Violence is happening again. He's just bringing violence wherever he goes, which kind of is true. Um, and so they usher him out. And later that evening or within that short amount of time, a group of 40 Jews, and this is all from Acts, a group of 40 Jews formed a conspiracy to kill him. Somehow his nephew finds out. His nephew tips off Paul and the Romans. The Romans actually like grab a couple centurions and 200 soldiers and whisk him away to, whisk him away to Caesarea. And uh, so the Romans are protecting him. Um, they get him to Caesarea, and they basically, Rome's like, really nothing to do. And then they finally get a Roman guy that does want to do something, just to make it quick. And then Paul says, hey, I'm not going back to Jerusalem. I'm going to go down there. They're going to kill me. I'm going to invoke my Roman citizenship. And so he invokes his Roman citizenship, which was his, and uh, he demands to be taken directly to Caesar. Click. Um, so here we go on the later part of Paul's life. He ends up, they're taking him over to Rome. They're trying to get him there. He gets shipwrecked on Malta. Malta loves Paul. And uh, he ends up starting the church of Malta there. And I don't know how long he's on the island. They don't really say for sure how long he's on the island. It had to be a bit because it took him a while to get to Rome. He finally gets to Rome. Uh, 
He's got house arrest there, supporters of the Church of Rome. Um, he supported the church. He preached from his, he was running a house. He preached from his house. So I don't know like how prisony it was. I mean, it was house arrest, but um, also by this time, Peter is there. Remember Peter at one point, he has enough of the Jews in Jerusalem, the Christian Jews in Jerusalem. And he's just like, peace, like I can't. And so Peter takes off and they both end up in Rome. Um, and uh, so you have Peter and Paul in Rome at the ends of their life, preaching and teaching to the church of Rome. Um, eventually Nero comes into powder, power. Nero's crazy, um, burns Rome, goes nuts with a lot of his powers, realizes what he's done. He's like, uh, well, it really wasn't me. It was those Christians. They kind of did it. And so he takes out Paul, has Paul decapitated. Um, and from historical texts, we see that Peter also suffered cruelty from Nero and ends up with an upside-down crucifixion. And by that time, you have some leaders left in Jerusalem, but Jerusalem, the, the, they called them Judaizers, um, section of Christianity. They were really pushing the law. It ends up getting really lawless with, with the government there. And uh, after Peter and Paul are both dead, they eventually, Rome just takes Jerusalem, destroys the temple, sacks the city, and literally makes all of the Jews leave. And you don't get the Jews back till the 1900s. <laughs> so, so that was it. You don't get what you had before there uh, in the land of Israel until then. Um, so a lot going on in Paul's life. And I think it's very important to understand what he lived through. It's very important to understand what he preached. And uh, we can go ahead and click. Nearly half of the New Testament uh, are letters by him. Uh, you can consider half of it. People say if you do consider the last half of Acts, not written by him, but the last, last half of Acts was about Paul for the most part. Uh, Paul shows us the power of a transforming experience with Christ. Um, and again, he spends a lot of time talking about powers and principalities that come against us. Paul took on philosophies and religious lines of thought. Um, first, of at, first half of his life, he was working with the religious and political spirit. And then the second half of his life, he's spending his time breaking it apart. So you're talking about a guy that knows the religious and political spirit. Um, God works with fishermen and he works with the rabbis. And I think that that's important to know. You get to Rome and you got Peter and Paul teaching and instructing in Rome. You have a fisherman and you have a highly educated rabbi and God's using both of them to do exactly what God wants to do. And people can't forget that. Um, he can use any skill that you have, even when it seems counter to what's coming in your life. There are a lot of Christians who have a lot of skills. Earlier on in their life, they get saved and they just think that this stuff was all evil. Sometimes it might be evil. I don't know. But sometimes they lay down skills and they lay down different passions because they think that when they come through the cross, everything is different, even these things. And just God can use many different things. We had someone in here, I don't think you'd care if I shared this, I don't mention his name though, like three or four weeks ago, it was four weeks ago when my dad was talking about authority. And uh, he has spent his entire life in church, in very conservative church, and he's never looked at the authority of Christ like that before. And what the Holy Spirit does in partnership with Christians. And somewhere 
when my dad was talking, something sparked, and he has been a different person for three or four weeks now. He is living and digesting and relooking at things in ways that he's never looked at before. And he's like, I was really scared because I knew that when I felt this and when I saw this, that I had wasted the first half of my life. And then he realized that, you know what? No, all this stuff is still in my heart. All those Bible verses are there, all that. It wasn't a waste. I'll put it to use, but I'm going to put it to use doing it this way. And so for Christians and unsaved alike, use what you got. God is not stupid. He turns everything to good. And uh, he doesn't sell people out. Um, Also, we need to understand the culture of our converts. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. We need to understand what's going on. When we talk to people, we need to have some kind of understanding of where they're coming from. And we need to make sure not to cause, they always call it Christianese. Don't Christianese, don't Christianize everything. Turn it into a culture that we can digest properly. We don't need to Christianize everything. Everything needs to be of Christ, but it doesn't have to be of a aesthetic quality that we have determined as Christians is nicer. That's what I'm talking about. Um, Don't be naive. Don't shove down a culture or methods that you can't find in the Bible. We have a lot of culture and methods in the church that we can't find in the Bible. Not saying they're bad, but you can't teach a new Christian how something's supposed to be without showing them that it's here because that's just confusion and then that just makes us like any other person telling them what to do. Uh, allow people to embrace the Christ, the Savior of the world, in simplicity. Um, that's just kind of my rough, quick rundown through Paul's life. There's a lot. I mean, like N.T. Wright, it's like on his fourth book about Paul. So, I mean, there's a lot there. I just threw it into like 25 minutes. There's stuff I missed or didn't emphasize, but this is important to realize because when you start diving into those letters, you need to know his background. You need to know what happened to Paul. You need to be understanding why there was this radical difference and why he cannot stand certain things anymore, why certain things just don't fly for him. Um, So pray for people. Pray for people often. We don't know what's going on and God, just in an instant, there's, like I said, there's free will. There's the sovereignty of God. They meet in the middle. Something somehow works. Who knows what God may do? Who knows? There may be a, there may be a newer Paul walking down the streets of Kalkaska right now. And uh, pray. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. So let's pray for people as we end this. Lord, we thank you that you are a God that knows what he is doing. We thank you that you are a God that sees things that we do not see. Lord, give us eyes like yours. Give us ears to hear you and what you are doing. And uh, may we be open to you correcting things that, that, that may, not, may not work with you. Lord, we just pray for Kalkaska County right now. We just pray specifically. We join in prayer for peop- with, other, with other churches praying for salvation for many people. And we pray for turned around lives for many people. And Lord, I just pray that you would help people find you, not only just for themselves, but also for their family and for what they'll do for the community in return. Lord, only you can provide the transformation that we need for the city. So Holy Spirit, whisper in our ear what we need to know as we go through our week. 
Help us to pray. Help us to realize moments that we are supposed to act out in faith. We just want to live you every day, Lord. We want to see what you're going to do here in lives and families and in the whole community. So just have your way in our lives, Lord. Help us to be the harvesters that you're looking for. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for your transformative power, and we thank you for what you did on the cross and making all of this possible. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.